Welcome to TV I Say with Ashley Ray. I'm your host, Ashley Ray. I'm here today with your third episode of TV I Say with one of the dearest, dearest friends of the podcast. Steven Weber is here with us today. I am so excited to talk to him. We are going to talk about Party Down, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, 13 Reasons Why, Indebted, so many exciting things, Wings, wings for all the the, uh, older people listening. We get into that too. We'll get to that in a bit. We'll dig into that conversation. But before we do, it is time for the watch list. The watch list, the part of the podcast where I list the TV I'm watching, which is way too much TV if, if you know me. So let's get into it. What did I watch over the last week? Well, come on. If you follow me on Twitter, you know what I have been watching. The Queen's Gambit. I love it. I'm obsessed. It absolutely won me over. Brilliant editing, producing, everything about it is just so well done. Some of it you would think, oh my gosh, this is so contrived, but the performances behind it just absolutely sell you. So I have to give a shout out to The Queen's Gambit. It was my favorite watch. It was better than Mad Men. It was like my personal Friday Night Lights. You need to understand. Okay, I'm not like a, sure, I'm a nerd. I've never lied about that. I'm a nerd. Absolutely, I'm a nerd. I was on the chess club. I was in fourth and fifth grade. I know the game. I'm not I, I'm not good at it, but I know the game. But I loved this show, so it felt like I was just like on the edge of my seat. It was like, oh, just queasy. Like, is she gonna oh my you're they're like rook to E7, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. It's insane how they just heighten the tension in a game of chess. So I I have to say, check it out. What else did I watch? Bob's Burgers had a new episode this past week. Wonderful Halloween episode. I love a Bob's Burgers Halloween episode. You should absolutely check that out. After Bob's Burgers and The Queen's Gambit, I got into Grand Army, which was a very different tone, very different tone from The Queen's Gambit. I will be honest, when I started watching Grand Army, I thought that it was the Netflix movie with Mero and those kids from Brooklyn, like killing vampires. So first of all, the first two episodes, I just kept being like, when is Mero going to show up? And then I kept being like, when are they going to start killing vampires? And none of those things happened. And instead, there were like bombs and teenagers doing drugs. It's a wild show. But I I actually am excited that we have Steven Weber on because he was, you know, obviously in 13 Reasons Why. And I feel like Grand Army carries on in the tradition of 13 Reasons Why in some good ways and some not so good ways. It definitely escalates a lot of situations that I'm not sure a 15 year old would be in for the sake of drama. But at the same time, I do kind of love it as someone who grew up watching Degrassi and loves a good teen drama. Moving on, of course, I'm still watching 90 Day Fiance the other way, writing about it on Vulture. You can catch up my recaps there, so I won't spend too much time on it. But uh, this last episode, I am so sick of Brittany. I am just so tired of her. I just need her to not be on the show. She is really just wasted. It's just so clear she doesn't love Yazan, and everyone else this season is so in love. You got Kenny and Armando, who are just weeping in deep passion and love for each other every week. And then you have Brittany, who's just like, oh my god Yazan like why do you want me to convert and Yazan is just like if I marry you my dad's gonna kill me his dad straight up said if you marry her 
I will be your murderer. I will be your murderer. And Brittany's just like, whatever, I'm here to get Instagram followers, get my Twitter follows up. That is why I am on 90 Day Fiance. (laughs) So not really a fan of her. Moving on, I did finish the Comedy Store documentary series on Showtime. I had a lot of praise for that in the beginning, and I have to say those first three episodes are really strong. The last two episodes, not very strong. Can't say they're worth putting on. I think if you want to check out the first three, that's a good idea. The last two, they kind of lose the thread. They kind of become about being canceled, but it's really just like comedians like Joe Rogan and Louis C.K. being like, I'm so afraid of Twitter. I don't understand how these comedians these days can tell a joke on Twitter and they're not afraid. And then I'm like, wow, I guess I'm more brave than you. You like 52 year old man. I don't know how old any of them, but but it's just, it was a weird tone that it felt removed from sort of the the historical perspective offered in earlier episodes. So watch the first three, see how you feel. Continuing, we had last week tonight, this episode, you know, last week tonight, sometimes it just feels like John Oliver yelling at you. And that is how I felt about that episode. Seduced, the third episode aired this past week. And then we have the final episode airing this weekend. I said that a lot of you should think about getting a star's seven day trial when the last episode of Seduced comes out. So this is my warning to you. Get your seven day trial. Watch four episodes of Seduced. Also watch P Valley. That's another great show on stars. Seduced is so good. Last episode, we got to talk to the team behind it. Imbo Lesnar and Cecilia Peck. Obviously, I love this series, but I really love the way it ends. I love the focus on activist work that these survivors are doing. So please check that out and definitely get that star seven day trial to do it. The show is worth the binge. After that, I was watching some Life After Lockup. We TV still going on that show. Still watching it this season. So many of the couples just seem so ridiculous that it's a little hard to get into them. So many are clearly just scamming each other. But I don't know. I just I like to watch people make bad decisions on TV. So I'm still going with it. Superstore came back over the last week. It'll have two episodes out when you're listening to this. I really enjoyed the premiere. I think the show is doing a great job of handling COVID in its storyline. It had some just funny moments. Obviously, it's not something this, the show can ignore, given that it's it's set in a superstore. So I, I thought they did a great job of doing it in a realistic way, focusing on the actual concerns their characters would have, finding the humor in it. Not every show has had a solid COVID episode, but I would say Superstore, Blackish did really well. It's possible. We're going to see it on every show. And I imagine at some point I'm going to be sick of COVID episodes. But so far, the different shows are doing a great job. What else am I watching on the watch list? Yeah, there's more. I know I have a problem. I decided today on election day to start our cartoon president on Showtime. Wonderful comedy. I, you know, that's on me. It's it's in season three. And there was that Vanity Fair article that came out that was like, oh, because of Donald Trump, there's no peak TV because TV can't compare with Trump or whatever. And I don't agree with that article, but I do think there is a point about Donald Trump distracting people from good TV because our cartoon president was one of those shows where I was just like, I don't need to watch this. I'm not the target audience. I already know I don't like Trump don't care about this. And so I just never really checked it out, you know? And then finally today, I was like, it's election day. I need something to make me laugh about all of this, everything going on. 
So I put it on and it's so funny. I've been enjoying it so much. I think today was a perfect day to watch it. I would recommend checking it out. I don't know how you'll be listening to this on Friday. We have no idea how things will go. But hey, our cartoon president is a show that that's making me feel better today. And finally, the show I watched, the last one, The Good Lord Bird, I finally started also on Showtime. Uh, Ethan Hawke is in it. I really enjoy it. I think they're doing a great job of mixing sort of different perspectives of this narrative that could have been done pretty badly. You know, it could have really focused on sort of him as a white savior, but they've really brought a lot of multiculturalism and diversity into it in a way that I think doesn't feel forced or fake, but is very honest to the story. Ethan Hawke is just doing a great job. He is. Wow. I love his performance in it. It was a little difficult to watch the night before the election because there's a lot of white men saying the N-word, which it is period appropriate, you know, not saying cancel them or anything. Just saying, you know, it's hard to hear white men just say the N-word so hard, so freely the week of the election. (laughs) But, you know, it's a great show. Check it out. That is the watch list. Those are the shows that I watched. If you have any recommendations, shows you think I should check out, let me know on Twitter uh, at TVISAYPOD. Hit me up. Say, hey, Ashley, check this show out. Or, hey, Ashley, talk more about this show. You know that I am always watching TV and always love a good recommendation. Moving on, we have our clip of the week. Obviously, my clip of the week this week is coming from The Queen's Gambit. I love the show. I do have, I have to call out the one thing I thought the show could have done better, which is that there's a character, there's a black woman in the show, Jolene, who I just thought was not really like, she was a great character. And of course, the show has room to build if there's a second season on this character. But she kind of just shows up to be like sassy black friend, magical Negro who like helps to like guide and give inspiration. But they tried to like shoehorn in a little story for her. So I wanted to do my favorite clip of Jolene and Beth Horton, my favorite people, Beth Harmon, Beth Harmon and Jolene, my favorite clip of them from The Queen's Gambit. What I want is what you got. You've been the best at what you do for so long. You don't even know what it's like for the rest of us. So what will your fellow radicals think? You being with a rich white lawyer? Fuck them if they can't take a joke. That is my clip of the week from The Queen's Gambit. Love that show. Hope we get a better, better use of the Jolene character in a future season. That show better get picked up for a second season. I love The Queen's Gambit. It better get a second season. And we better get a better written Jolene character. But I did love this little moment where she just like shoehorns in that she's just like dating this white guy as a joke. Who hasn't been there? Goodness. So that was our clip of the week. Finally, before we head into our interview with the wonderful Steven Weber, this is my spoiler bitch disclaimer. We will be talking about 13 Reasons Why, Indebted, Party Down, Studio 60. I can't say we're really spoiling any of those shows. They are all off the air now. So, you know, I, I don't know that that we uh, really give away any big plot details. So feel free to listen. This episode is spoiler free. TV, I 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. TV I here with Stephen Weber, one of my favorites, absolute friend of the podcast. Uh, actually, you know, Stephen, you're one of my oldest LA friends. We fell in love. It was love at first sight, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Uh, four years ago now. Tw- yeah. Back in 2016 at Soho House. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. That's right. What People I, never believe me. You, did you offer me your table or did I? Or what happened? <laughs> I actually, I stole your table. You had like gotten up to use the bathroom and I thought it was free and I just sat down and then you came back and I was like, sorry, Steven Weber. Yeah, you're typically entitled young girl. (laughs) Yeah, I was just, you know, this is my Soho house. I'm reclaiming this space as a young black woman. It's my time, middle-aged white (laughs) dude guy. You get out of here, Steven. (laughs) You're out. But you you did very politely give me your table, and then you were like, oh my goodness, you write for the AV Club, and you were so nice. You did an interview for me with the AV Club where we we dug into some of your roles. We just, you've been one of my, my biggest fans ever since. Well, as I was saying before, so recording, I just think you're amazing. You are, you're self-possessed in the best sense. Your humor is hilarious. Your honesty, your, I guess, at least from what I can see, reasonably well-adjusted, you know, it's like. Oh, Stephen, thank you. Well, no, it's true. You know, it's who the hell knows how much longer we have on this fucking planet. So I'm like, you know, might as well just yeah. say it out loud, you know. Yeah, and I, I have to say, we're doing this on election day. This will be out on Friday, but thank you so much for on this day of all days this sitting down with me to talk TV. Try to be viewed through a haze of joy or as an artifact dug up like a hundred years from now from the in the ashes. Like, wow. yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're actually, you're taking a break from Twitter right now. I think I'm done with the big T. I live on it and buy it for years. I actually was on it for several years and then taken another, I'd taken a first break for about four years. Wow. And then I kind of got back on it and realized that it wasn't for me. Yeah. My reasons were, I guess, personal. I could make it seem like I'm speaking for a lot of people, but it just... It just seemed like after a while, what was uh, attractive and fun about it became less so where everything, if it was witty or shitty, was just fuel. It didn't make a difference. It just came out in this one of those machines. You ever see them advertise where you press a button and a little hand comes out and turns the button off? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just back and forth. forth. So that's kind of like what Twitter became. Uh, Yeah, I met cool people there and admittedly got news, but also got to glimpse a side of the human psyche that was really ugly and unrepentantly so. 
And yeah. it was like a rage aggregator or like a fucking crazy mosh pit so that whatever good was there was absolutely tainted by all the toxicity. And, and I realized that I was addicted to it. And yeah. I was like, I'm, I can't. I got to go. I got to go. You're very brave for stepping away. I don't know that I could do it. And you're someone you very kind of blatantly talk about your politics. I feel like a lot of the older white male actors don't really do that. They stay away from it. And you were never afraid. And I saw a lot of pro-Trump people attacking you. You could just be, you know, tweeting about what you had for dinner and people would be mad. Well, that's what it was. I mean, it wasn't social media. It was antisocial. And it, and it really fostered that kind of armchair bullying that was I, I couldn't understand it after a while, but I think I was addicted to it. I can't stand on my high horse and say I had excellent things to say. I think I was just another one of those kind of. You ever watch the show How It's Made, which I watched like yeah. you know, like I still watch it. Like you know, God, it's a great show. You know, yeah, it's very, very kind of meditative. I'm like one of those plastic beads that go into the making of whatever comes out looking good. It's just shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not great. Yeah. So speaking of that, what you're watching, how it's made, what else do you like to watch? What's getting you through quarantine? That's so dull. You want to watch how it's made. Hey, I, there's a really good episode about canned soup, and it's like how Anne's can, Annie's canned soup is made. I'm on it's it. fascinating. You uh, have to it, see it. In fact, let's cut this short because I. <laughs> what am I watching? I admit that I, I, for some reason, have not been watching that many new shows. I've turned into a comfort food person, which means I'll watch. Huh. A lot of old movies and old shows. And, and I'm not trying to be like patronizing. Like I just No, no. We love old shows on the pod. What are some of your favorites? You know, admittedly, I will watch. I still, even though I can't stand them anymore because I've seen them so often, Seinfeld reruns. Out here in L.A., they're on four times within an hour. You know, so I'll yeah. watch 13 and watch one or two. And then an hour later, I'll go to Channel 19 and watch it. And it's the same thing. I don't know. But so I'll watch that. I'll do... Um, I don't know, like I like horror movies, but old world horror movies, and I'll watch Rosemary's Baby to like throw oh. up. I'll watch I like I'm trying to think what else. I don't know. I've been watching old Dick Cavett interviews and I, I went down like a James Baldwin wormhole for like five months and I was like watching everything that he did that I could find and that guy and you know, like Christopher uh, Hitchens and all these people that are articulate. I may not necessarily agree with them, but I'm so hungry for kind of simplicity. But that's hopefully intelligent. And also, I'm very, I'm starved for intelligence and the ability to articulate differing points of view without animus. It just makes me insane, you know? Yeah, I think that is really rare on TV right now. I mean, all that's getting me through quarantine is 90 Day Fiance reruns. So I'm not looking for intelligence. I can't bring myself to watch any of like, you know, the, the Housewives, The Bachelor. And I just can't do it. I can't do it. No, that's a good call. That's a good call. Because I know how easily I'd be sucked in. I know now that I'm capable of real bad addictive behavior, and I'm really trying to stay away from that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like classic sitcoms like Seinfeld helped me with that, too. I've been doing a lot of that and King of Queens. I'm not a King of Queens guy, except for Jerry Stewart. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so when it comes to the classic sitcom, I feel like obviously you're one of the kings with Wings. You had Indebted yeah. uh, that just came back, which I loved with Adam Pauly, Fran Drescher. How exciting was it to work with Fran? It was really exciting, and I'm sorry it didn't get picked up. I mean, it had potential to go and grow, I think. Oh, yeah. She's great. I knew her from years ago. 
and where she was bigger than life and she's still bigger than life, but she's also now fully grounded. She's a legitimate survivor, this woman. And she's uh, talking about being articulate. She's articulate about her own struggles, about health, about ecology and... She's so fucking cool, this woman. It's both revelatory and a relief, you know, because when you meet famous people or you work with them, it's like a 75, 25 that they're just, you know, not so great, or at least they're human. She's really cool. You know, she's yeah. super cool. I, you guys, you would go on a road trip together. Great idea for a show. Make it happen. Yeah, let's make that happen. I'd be into that. Ashley. Yeah. I loved Indebted, and I thought it really followed in the steps of those traditional sitcoms. And I think, yeah, sadly, it really could have gone somewhere. But you see these networks are kind of turning away from traditional sitcoms and moving more into reality shows and game shows. It's a different wave, I guess. It's, you know. It's a different wave. I feel like it has something to do with the overarching corporate influence in how network shows are made and it's it's less apparent on like cable shows and streamers which the majority of the great shows seem to originate now and look uh you know it was a ne- it's a network model that they're still wrestling with because the dynamism of Fran and Adam and and the story that I think they wanted to tell I don't think fit into that that mold that yeah. network mold. everything interesting not everything but a lot of the interesting things that we found shooting were cut out, pared down, and you were left with simple set up, laugh, set up, laugh, set up, laugh, set up, laugh. And, you know, at this point, the audience is more sophisticated and they'll sit. I mean, that's why cablers are so popular. People can do it. I don't know why networks who I guess assume they're so good at programming and making money can't see that. They can't let go or let the artists do what they do and find a big audience and make it a huge hit. I mean, one... You'd only look at all the, from Breaking Bad to, you know, all those I mean, shows. I would like to talk about my favorite, the cult hit that I think deserves some kind of comeback that wasn't given a fair shake, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. Uh, which I think clearly you gave you a lot of maybe behind the scenes experience of how these network decisions are kind of made, or at least that makes it into the show a lot. I think it tried. I think there were a lot of things right with that show. And again, if given enough time, you know, things work out. There's like this component in the industry that is forgotten mostly, and that's the growth component or the evolution component. If you leave something there, it'll get better, hopefully. It'll also attract an audience. Back in the olden days, when a a film would be in a a movie theater for weeks, it could become a huge moneymaker or not. But in many cases, it, it would because people would find it. And if you just rely on two weeks or two weekends or a box office opening or whatever it is to find to make your money, then it defeats the purpose of creating something that actually relies on growth and evolution. Yeah. And I'm talking- what the fuck I'm talking about. But. <laughs> and I think uh, Studio 60, we've seen grow. I mean, with all of my comedian friends, we love it. When I say we genuinely love it as a cult show, yeah. we rewatch it constantly. I was going to rewatch it before this interview, but it's actually really hard to find it streaming anywhere. And I was really upset about that because it's one of my favorite shows to revisit. Like, I, I know they did a remake of West Wing, and I was like, no, give yeah. me Sorkin bringing back the Studio 60 cast, that's the update I want. Well, it amuses me that you say you and your comedian friends, because one of the ironies of Studio 60 is that it portrayed the world of a SNL-type show with all these supposedly hilarious comedians and uh, comic actors and sketch comics, sketch actors. 
And for the most part, the comedy on the show was not funny. So I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine that the cult aspect of your enjoyment of the show is about that. Now, look, we had Mark McKinney on it. We had genuinely hilarious people on the show. And I always thought, like, fuck, don't write for DL. He's a good actor, you know. Yes. Let him do his shit, you know. He's unbelievable. Let him do it. Couldn't do it. You know, and I wow. think ultimately Aaron, who is the grand poobah of this type of writing, he had complete control. And, and in a way, in that world, a lot of success depends on letting go. Yeah. Letting go, you know, and he couldn't let it go, I yeah. think. I think that yeah. is what it is. The the sketches within the show took themselves so seriously, which doesn't oh work on a comedy. And I think that's what 30 Rock did really well, which obviously different tone of show. But in 30 Rock, you have like... The sketches are so silly, so absurd that you have to laugh at them. And then on Studio 60, it felt like Aaron Sorkin really believed these sketch shows were changing the world. Great. You know, hilarious dude. And it was an interesting thing. And I, I think it was something that people were aware of. I mean, there is an aspect, actually, of television. You know, now that we're talking about this being Election Day and how big a part media plays in, in people's daily moods, kind of the overall national or even international kind of mood that people are in. And so there was something to be said for that. But the actual comedy component of the show, I think it would have been interesting if he risked, I don't know, risked something because Studio 60 is not West Wing. It's not even sports night. You know? so, and <laughs> but would, but would you do a would you do a, a reunion episode? I, I'll come to the opening of an envelope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like the people want it. <laughs> Well, some people want it. I don't know who they are, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm available. I'm sure everybody else is more or less. So maybe maybe it's just me. Busy. It's just you. <laughs> uh, a good deal of them would actually assemble for you. Yeah. You know, the show that a lot of people said they wanted to talk about that they really want a comeback for is Party Down. Oh. And of course, you were in one of my favorite episodes. We talked about this a long time ago when we when we did our random roles interview for the AV Club. Yeah. Obviously, Party Down, amazing show. I think you do some of the best comedic work in that show, which you also see in iZombie, obviously in Indebted and other work you've done. What was it like to work on Party Down with all of those kind of comedic greats around you? Well, look, all of them, first of all, were amazing improvisers and hilarious and gifted actors in their own right. You know, there was no one person who was better than the other. And so it was kind of astounding. And I'd never really been in, uh, in an atmosphere quite like that. I mean, even though I'd done Wings and everything, this was a little different. This was dirtier and had more in common with like Second City or UCB or, you know, all that stuff. What was it like? It was very freeing. And I felt encouraged to kind of try to rise to their level. And I felt like I did. And the reason why I say that is because I had such fun doing it. It still remains one of the most enjoyable and best things I've ever done, certainly comically. And, you know, I run into Martin Starr sometimes and, and Lizzie and I'll see Ken Marino once in a while. And everybody always says, oh, God, you know, that was such a great show. And they're always they're still talking about doing a movie. Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't imagine that anybody, first of all, it's you know, over 10 years old already. So I don't know. It's so good, though. And you improvised a lot of what you did in that role, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, it's almost like the kind of curb your enthusiasm model where you have, except you have more dialogue. It, it's mostly written, but there are definitely moments where they let you go. And like I say, they were all so gifted that people rarely, if ever, broke. They yeah. just went, you know, like Jane... Um, Oh God! See, this is Jane my Lynch. Old, Jane Lynch, you know, forget it, man. She, this woman, 
she's unbelievable. She would not break. And they were going for it, really going for it. And I was, it was really educational for me to watch all these, these great performers. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot was improvised. How did you find that accent? Uh, I had a friend once who was Croatian. And for years, we always used to talk like this. She would talk like this, and I would meet her, her cousin and her mother, and they all sort of uh, all talk like this, and they, yeah, yeah. and I don't know how accurate it was, but they seemed to be amused by it. So <laughs> came up with it, and then I want to say in the the first day, I had the idea to to kind of create some sort of glued lazy eye, which was a kind of a key to my character because I I thought mm, I want to do something. I think I'm too good looking. I'm not scary enough because I'm just too handsome. So give me, yeah, I mean, you, you see it. Yeah, you it's, see yeah, it. yeah, yeah, naturally. I mean, let's not talk about it. It's, it's embarrassing. Me. It's too much. <laughs> we'll do that later, yeah. Stephen. It's fine. <laughs> let, let, we'll do the after, after talk. And so the director, uh, Brian Gordon, said, uh, yeah, sure, let's see it. Okay. And I managed to do this kind of really simple thing using eyelash glue. And fucking thing looked hilarious. It's, yeah. You're like, yeah, go, man. Oh, okay. The whole character, the whole episode, that moment, so great. And it's just wonderful to know your kind of personal touches that you brought to it. I think another role I want to talk about for me that that I just loved you in, it's really the whole reason I watched the show, is 13 Reasons Why. I love teen dramas. Uh, 13 Reasons Why is one that is so over the top. That is so kind of yeah. just those kids are doing every horrible thing in life. They have the worst lives I've ever seen. And I love that you play this principal. I was like, there's Steven Weber finally getting to this like kind of age and role where he's the evil principal. <laughs> to <laughs> kind of like these horrible teenagers. The worst high school in the world. Yeah. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. TV At one point, I actually was convinced that your character wanted to kill all of these teenagers, that he wants them all dead. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, and, and not from day one. He's, he's <laughs> a reasonable kind yeah, of man. He kind of, he, he eases up. into that hatred. Well, he realizes that in certain situations, that type of hatred and authoritarian is actually necessary. Right. Yeah. And especially when some of the, the majors in the school, like you would think that after watching this show that some of the kids, the students were actually majoring in 
suicide, date rape, murder, terrorism. And I was like, uh, yeah. okay, there's a school for it, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, this and, is just a uh, school where kids are casually like, I got my AR-15 and we're going to lead uh, a strike. I mean, okay. So I listen, I was the archetypal kind of, you know, like a grouchy authoritarian white principal dude, like, uh, <laughs> who turns out to be a reasonably decent guy, but Look what he had to fucking deal with. Yeah. Every day was like, I can't believe it. And every year, you know, thematic. I, look, I think it was a great show. It was very well written and amazingly acted. I mean, yeah. these actors, I was like the, one of the old dudes who played like the parents or the, again, the authority figures. And the heavy lifting was done with all these kind of effortlessly beautiful young people. Fuck that. Yeah. And, and me and the other old actors would do our few lines and then go back to the hotel at night and have dinner and get drunk and then go back to the set the next day and watch all these again, effortlessly beautiful young actors, <laughs> people with six packs and girls with tats and it's like everybody's gorgeous. It's like, oh. Yeah, it is like these are beautiful oh. teenage like high schoolers oh who, who are just like trying to act like they're bullied. And I'm just like, are you kidding? You're like a model at 17. <laughs> and me and my peers would look at each other and just kind of say, oh, God, it's over. So over. Let's get drunk. Okay. But look, it was actually a great show. And I'm grateful that you like it. And also that a particular demographic. Yeah, it really resonated with teenagers. It did. And personally, they recognized me from it. And that's shocking. Even recently, I, I mean, I guess people are still watching it streaming, whatever. But late at night, I was driving, driving down La Brea. And there was a big car coming up behind me that had didn't have their lights on. And I was sort of slowed down and let them pass me. I was like, hey, turn your lights on, turn your lights on. And some young kid, like with his mother, his mother's driving. And the young kid, of course, is like on his phone, you know, and he looks out and he goes, look at me, he goes, hey, you're the principal of 13 minutes. I was like, what, what? Yeah, yes. You know? Yeah, and you're it's doing a principal-like thing, telling you to turn your lights on. That's right. And the mother said, oh, let's take a video. And I said, no, I want you to be safe. <laughs> so that's very, very in line with your principal character. And yeah. you you have kids that age, like you have teens. Yeah. Did they kind of help you get into the role of how to torture these kids? Oh, hell no. No, my boys are 17 and 19. And they're so in advance of where I was at those respective ages that no, they don't. First of all, they have, I think, at least superficially, a low regard for me and my profession. They can give two shits, you know. They're only amused when maybe we'll get a, a good table at a restaurant or I can maybe have them meet Tyler, the creator, or him and Eric. Yeah, somehow I can do that. And then I'm like, great. But after that happens, the, so long. What, they're not big it. Wings fans? I don't, I don't understand. Nah. No, no, no. They mock me and I'm fine with it. So no, I, they did not prepare me for my, my role as the principal. I just had to figure it out on my own. Uh, I did a lot of reading. Yeah, well, I would brag constantly like, hey, iZombie, come on. I, no, I thought like the cool kids watched iZombie, that age group. I don't know what to tell you. They just don't, uh, my boys. I think the only thing they sort of liked was maybe Dracula dead and loving it when I, they were small. No, but they're very sophisticated and dark, dark, oh. dark, dark, and funny. And they're jazz musicians and they like go down these wormholes. Like my son, Alfie, is this, he's got this R&B core that is, goes back 70 years to now. And it's like fucking, it's like Max Roach. He's a drummer. It's like, he goes deep. And then the other one is another crazy indie musician who's 
Yeah, their sensibilities are way past mine. These, yeah, I'm, these young kids are so much cooler than us, I feel like. I have nieces yeah. that age, and I'm just like, how are you so cool we're already? Cool. We're cool. So they, I, I don't know what that's like. Yeah. They're w- even cooler. They're just like listening to John Coltrane at 14 these Coltrane. days. Listen, it's sick. Coltrane, Dexter Gordon, and they're like, they're all over the place. Hey, Papa, listen to this. I'm like, what? I can't. <laughs> Yeah, I, I talked to my nieces about Ariana Grande, and they're like, "Grow up, Ashley. You should really have a more sophisticated ear." Yeah. Listen, they turned me on to um, Anderson Pack, you know, and like, Love, you know, yeah. like, hey, so I'm like, I know Anderson Pack, man. <laughs> you know, Malibu. I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm like, and I'm so I'm way behind, but I'm I'm enthusiastic. Yeah. That. So one but, last one last yeah. question. This came from Twitter. Everyone wants to know, who do you think Joe and Brian Hackett would vote for today? I mean, it's pretty clear that they would vote for somebody who, are we going to go there? Yeah, uh, they're Biden and Kamala all the way. I mean, absolutely. um, By this time in their lives, Joe and Brian, I think, know who they are, know what they're about and know what their limitations are socially and culturally. But they're good-hearted people, and they read, and they observe history, and they have a moral compass. So I think it'd be easy to figure out who they'd be voting for. Absolutely. So so hopefully when this is airing on Friday, their dreams came true, and and things are – we're in a better world. Holy smokes. I mean – and, you know, I'm saying this now. I don't know, a few hours from now when I'm, like, lying face down in a puddle of tequila – you know, I think whatever happens, we will get through it. I mean, they're actually what the last four years has shown me is that there are good people out there. Yeah, sure. The ugly has been exposed. And there's an entire ideology that's predicated on the ugly, which is a lazy, easy thing to to get behind. But there are a lot of amazing people out there, people who found their voices and and people are awake and active and man, it's the way, you know, and I want to be part of it and as much as I possibly can. But man, that's great. That's so hopeful for me. And it's very easy to get disappointed, but I think it's all good, man. I, you know, he's going to go, if this goes the other way and like Trump gets elected again and the country goes to shit, which it probably will, if that happens, people aren't going to be like, no, oh, well, okay, fuck it. That's it. No. Yeah. Well, people are woken up. My God. So, I mean, my son's, for however I just kind of randomly describe them, are mobilized, man. They are active and they are they're these guys. They pound their hands. They tear it down to the studs. I'm like, wait, yeah, they're all about it. Anyway, there's a lot of hope for the future. I, I'm happy we get to end on, on a really positive note. That's uh, no matter what happens today, we, we're going to make it through this. Do you have uh, anything coming up that we should be on the lookout for you're excited about? I mean, uh, I'm, you know, I'm waiting to work like a lot of people are, yeah. although production is starting up. I did a fun episode of this show on Netflix called Social Distance with Mike Coulter, and I'm really happy about that. Just been doing kind of micro gigs. Yeah. Social Distance on Netflix. I'm about to check it out this weekend. So All right, you. there we go. Ashley Gray. I kind of love you. Oh my. Steven, I love you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, what a wonderful conversation. What a wonderful friend of the podcast, Steven Weber. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you so much for watching TV with me, Ashley Ray on TV, I say. 
before I leave, this is your homework, what to watch for next week. Check out I May Destroy You and Chewing Gum for one of our future guests coming up. In addition to that, I would love it if you could get ready for our conversation on family sitcoms that we'll be doing by doing a little family sitcom watching. Check out The Real O'Neills, The Goldbergs, Fresh Off the Boat. We'll have a guest who who happened to be on all those shows. I'm really excited to talk to them. Also, check out some episodes of Drunk History. I've been revisiting Drunk History during the election. It's just such a fun show. I don't know. It gives me some kind of hope. But we're going to be talking to a few people who are on Drunk History. So that's your homework. That's your what to watch. Uh, If you enjoyed this conversation, if you enjoy the podcast, please support our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash TVISAPod. We have three different tiers that you can support, $5, 10 and 15 That's going to get you access to transcripts, the list of what I'm watching. You can watch TV with me. You can watch 90 Day Fiance with me. You can... You know, it's like a riff tracks thing where I like make fun of TV shows with my family. If you want to support us, it is patreon.com slash TV. I say pod. This is a independent operation that I fund myself. So support the pod. Also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. That is at TV. I say pod. Thank you so much for listening. Please also rate and review. That's five stars. I'm asking you to do so many things. Follow us support us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is my labor of love. You know, I I just love TV. This has been TV. I say pod. Thank you so much. As always, our theme song was created by Rafia and our art was created by Chastity Hyman. TV I say with Ashley Ray, another episode, another episode of TV I say.